Our scripture reading is Luke 17, 11 to 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Okay, uh, continuing on with uh, November Thanksgiving themes, um, we will look at this special story, uh, a special story in the Gospels. Um, unique in the sense that it's only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's a story of 10 people with leprosy who were healed of their malady by Jesus. Um, while the particular healing itself is not uh, remarkable, the aftermath of the healing is what, uh, to me, makes the story interesting. Uh, last week, we looked at two versions of observing Sabbath rest as set forth in the Ten Commandments. We considered the uh, specific command itself as well as the differing rationales offered by those two articulations. We talked about how in Exodus, um, the Sabbath imperative reminds us that we are not God. And therefore, we definitely need to intentionally practice rest and Sabbath trust. And then in Deuteronomy, Moses teaches the Israelites that they are not slaves either. They're not God, and they're not slaves either. So we don't have to slave away at anything. So we should take a day to exult in God's freedom. One of the conclusions then from uh, last week was that we should find rest, okay, in existential rest, in the mm, state or plane, if you will, that God has assigned uh, human beings. We're not divine, nor should we aspire to be, but neither are we subhuman, the property or chattel of another mere human being or institution. Rather, we are created by God, uh, loved by God, we belong to God. He has redeemed us or recreated us through Jesus Christ. So we need to accept, not only accept, but bask, bask in uh, where God has placed us. This segues uh, to what I would like to talk about today. And that is the topic of contentment. Uh, Thanksgiving, in my mind, is often a function of being content. No matter how many great things that we receive or that God blesses us with, if you are or I are expecting more, right? then even if God has given us a lot, we are still discontent. We're waiting for what we really want. Uh, Marge led us in that wonderful praise song, right? I shall not want. When there is want in your heart, no matter what God pours into that, we're like a bottomless pit. It's hard 
to be truly grateful. So when someone looks at your life, they go, man, you should be grateful. You should be thankful. So many things are going well in your life. But if, if that inner desire, if what you want is not fulfilled, right, we are still dissatisfied. Uh, think about what 1 Timothy 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So if we're, we want and we want and we want, there's certainly no contentment. The flip side of that would be to say that very little satisfies us. If very little satisfies us, then uh, a life of gratefulness uh, is not hard to come by. What comes to mind is a little anecdote from the journal of Matthew Henry, a man who um, wrote a commentary on the entire Bible, I think in the 19th century, when robbed of his wallet, when, when a wallet was stolen from him, upon reflection, uh, he jotted down the following in, in his journal. One, I am thankful that I have never been robbed before. Number two, I'm thankful that although he took my wallet, he did not take my life. I'm still alive. Number three, although he took all the money I had, it was not much. Number four, and I'm glad that I was the one robbed, not the one who did the robbing. He was someone who located contentment even in the midst of adversity and deprivation because he did not maintain that he was entitled to be always safe, always problem-free, always sufficiently moneyed. It's not that we lower the bar so that any little thing that we get is like, oh, I have to be grateful, I'm, I'm content. We're not trying to make lemonade out of any lemon, right? Any kind of lemon. But it's to appreciate that we don't always get to take it easy in terms of creature comforts, that God does not really owe us anything, and that indeed we have a surfeit of advantages and blessings that we often take for granted. Um, Dorothy Bass, uh, a writer, I was talking about um, how to be grateful, how to enjoy uh, not only the normal things of life, but especially the special occas occasions, right? And so uh, she's talking about the relative experience that we have. And she said this, without a fast, it's hard to recognize a feast. Without a fast, it's hard to recognize a feast. Today, we're going to have a Thanksgiving feast. But if you've been eating turkey every day since last Thanksgiving, I don't think you're going to enjoy the turkey or the cranberries or all the fixings that, that, that have been prepared. But you know, as Matthew mentioned, we didn't get to do this last year, right? So I think it's going to be extra special because you are ready. You are, uh, let's say, easily, quote-unquote, satisfied. Uh, you guys understand what I'm trying to say? The, the level of where you are in, in sense of contentment, right? That will condition or certainly impact whether you're grateful uh, or not. I designated my title as Types of Content. Uh, using today's verses, I'd like us to think about different types of content or contentment. Now, when I looked up the phrase, kinds of content or types of content on the web, 
you might have guessed that I found a lot of, well, content about marketing content, whether you're supposed to use uh, videos, images, GIFs, uh, audio, etc. Right? Of course, I'm making a play uh, on words and trying to make the title catchy by using uh, the words in, in terms of not uh, content, but content. Right? Spelled the same way, but I'm talking about contentment. So I'd like to consider three types of being content. First, the holy discontent. Holy discontent. Second, holy, different way to spell it, contentment. And then uh, Jesus is holier discontent. I dive in. The first type of being content is actually a state of discontentment, right? It describes the ten fellows uh, who were stricken with leprosy. In those days, due to the infectious nature of their condition, such individuals were required to isolate themselves. They often ended up right, banding together, crossing even ethnic and nationalistic lines. These men apparently resided uh, in the liminal areas, right? This one between Samaria and Galilee. Now, much could be said about how Jesus actually frequented these kind of boundary zones where the elite and powerful did not reside or inhabit. Jesus entered these region, regions where the marginalized lived. It often seemed deliberately to bring about miraculous healing and transformation. One can imagine how painful and terrible this kind of existence must have been for these men. Uh, my understanding is that leprosy proper was the inability to detect pain due to the loss of nerve sensitivity, leading to uh, loss of extremities, right? Because you bump into things and you don't feel pain, so you can burn your finger off, for example, and resultant you know, disfigurement. Uh, these men would have traded their lives for almost any other. Right? They were that, that desperate. They were that broken. Their agonizing and deep cries must have pierced the hearts of many a passerby, but especially resonated within the great physician who himself was a man of sorrows and familiar with sufferings, uh, says Isaiah 53. So Jesus hears their deep cry uh, and answers their plea that he take pity on them. So I've called this holy discontent, right? Although in general, the point of my message is that we should be content even in hard situations, what I'm referring to as a holy discontent uh, refers to a situation that I believe God himself does not want for us, at least by itself. Right? God created a good world and uh, desires us to flourish within it. The entry of sin and evil and death, of course, marred the beautiful creation and frustrated God's purpose. Uh, to be dissatisfied with something that is broken or as dark as leprosy is, I think is consonant with the will of God. Now, let me slow down here to say that sometimes God's will is not to cure a person of a disease or illness. The fact that all of our bodies eventually break down and expire is evidence that permanent physical health is not God's common will. Yeah, God may have a grander and a higher and a bigger purpose, sometimes inscrutable to us, that leads to, I don't know, endurance, patience, uh, some of the hardest and deepest kinds of trusting in God there are. But to be not okay with our physical infirmities, to me that's apt. We should cry out. We should pray that God would deliver us 
and others from pain and suffering. In that sense, the discontent of the lepers uh, was arguably sanctified. The opposite of this holy discontent is resignation and hopelessness. Right? God doesn't want us to have that. Recall the beggar in Acts chapter 3 who at the temple gate, he could only ask Peter and John right, for money. He, didn't, he couldn't picture, he couldn't imagine healing. Right? That's how hard it had become for him. He couldn't walk. He couldn't imagine that. So when Peter and John, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk, right? that was a tremendous miracle. Or the uh, paralytic of 38 years in John 5, who couldn't give Jesus a straight answer when the Lord asked him point blank, do you want to get well? Right? That had been so far removed from his life that he couldn't even say yes uh, to that. So a holy uh, discontent of the ten lepers. Um, yet God's sovereignty uh, has to prevail. Right? That, that's the bottom line. If after prayer and petition, God does not heal or answer prayer or even provide relief, we need to find peace. Right? Continuing to walk with God, trusting in Him, is the more important and the more prevalent, prevalent reality right, in biblical uh, history. Uh, to be not satisfied with God's answer, if God says clearly you're not going to be healed, for us to reject that, to, for us to become a malcontent, right? someone who questions God's goodness, right? then our discontent has taken on an unholy character. We've then allowed the disease to not only riddle our bodies, but destroy our spirits. So, holy discontent. Our second type of content or contentment, that of the, that of the one leper, who returned to thank Jesus for delivering him. Uh, let's move on to that. Now, it's unclear to me uh, if he was the only Samaritan of the group. Right? I think many believe so stylistically, right, when Jesus says, this foreigner suggests that maybe he was the only guy, but only Samaritan. But he's certainly only one of the ten that came back, right? The, um, so the parenthetical, parenthetical observation is that his ethnic background, being a hybrid, half Jew or mixed blood, um, was one of the factors which precipitated his coming back. Now, Jesus is surprised that the other nine did not come back. Uh, that implies that they were also they were probably all Jews, since Jesus himself was a Jew, and they they should know better. In other words. The question uh, to me uh, is, why did this particular man, this Samaritan, suspend his journey to the priests to come back and thank Jesus? Why did he do that? What made him, what motivated him to not go to the priests but return immediately uh, to Jesus? Now, some com commentators say that as a Samaritan, he did not really have a priest to go to since he would not be welcome at the Jewish temple. But I don't think that's right, because the Samaritans, I think, had their, probably had their own priestly system uh, on their holy place of worship, right, at, the, at that time, which was Mount Gerizim in Samaria. But why not go to the priest first, right? That's, that's what Jesus said to do. And then come back, return later, or as the text implies, not return at all. I think, right, 
that it what becomes clear is that what the man really wanted, okay, plain and simple, at bottom, was to experience God's healing. That was the true desire of his heart. Nothing more, nothing less. That is what he cried out for, and that is what he received. Therefore, once that occurred, he was fully or he was wholly contented. He got his heart's desire. God worked powerfully, and that was transformative. It was life-defining. He didn't need anything else. The impossible had happened. He was made whole by the power of God, and that was enough. He did not need to return to society or get more from God. He had a short wish list. Thus, when Jesus graciously granted that request, he had but one priority. And what was that? To give thanks. To express his gratitude to the healer and to praise God who made it all happen. The only sensible thing for such a man to do next was to express gratitude to, to the one who made it happen. He didn't need to go to the priest. The family, his family could wait. His erstwhile professional occupation was unimportant at the time. This momentous occurrence needed a monumental response. And so he follows through. He returns to Jesus. The passage tells us that he came back loudly praising God. It's what a reversal. Like lepers were uh, uh, required to call out in a loud voice, leper, leper, so that uh, unclean, unclean, right? So that others could avoid them. So that, you know, this man's lungs were obviously uh, well-developed. And he puts it to good use, thanking and honoring God with gusto. Because the desire of his heart, what he really ultimately wanted, that was satisfied. Therein lies the secret of contentment, right? When we uh, cull or, or, or filter or purify what we really want, our, what our desires are, yeah, and when God answers those prayers, uh, we have a chance at being truly thankful, truly content. Contrast that behavior with that of the other nine. If the Samaritan was fully satisfied with being healed, the other's actions demonstrate that they were not. The priest's acknowledgement that they were uh, ceremonially clean was important to them, right? To return to society, right? Because they were outcasts, including uh, temple practices, right? These were of greater importance to them. Now, in Leviticus 4, this was a, a legal requirement that someone with a skin disease which had gone into remission, they had to get inspected and then declared clean by the priest, right? Only then could they return to their families and livelihoods. The nine then still had what? More restoration, more rectification to accomplish. The healing was just a gateway. It was just a means to a different end. Whereas the one Samaritan, all he wanted was healing. That's that, that was what he that was his, like I said, his wish list. The others guys, the other guys had a more expansive wish list, and this priestly action, this healing, was uh, just the beginning uh, for them. They wanted more. And my argument is that they would always want more. God wasn't enough. His amazing answer to their prayer wasn't e enough, wasn't sufficient. 
Well, yes, they're happy that they no longer have leprosy, but they weren't blown away uh, with gratitude for that fact alone. They needed to get their skin status cleared. They needed to make up a lot of work. They lost time and opportunity, right? Either they were total ingrates or there was some element of greed, of ambition. They wanted more, right? Their unfulfilled desires blinded them from the most important thing, right? Yeah. How God, the giver, the healer, the blesser, the one, uh, was should have been the focus. It's like uh, many people, it's like us, like, we, we want stuff, right? We may even pray about it. Right? There, there's, there's a lot of desires. And um, sometimes we say things like, oh, if I just get that, right? I think Marge said that. Right? If, if only this happened, I would be so, like, set. Right? I'd be happy. I, I wouldn't need anything else. We may say that. We may uh, express that. But there's this sense of a deeper desire and an entitlement uh, lurking in our hearts so that once we get it or some version of it, we're not happy. If someone else has something better or that's not enough, that's just the start of you know, more that, that I think I deserve. Like let's say in the current job market, you apply to like 10, 15 places and you've ranked them, right? And you get job number nine or job number 12 or five, right? You're grateful that you, you should be grateful that you have a job in this economy isn't there that like, ah, you know, I wish I got number one or number two. That's what I'm saying is that our, our sense of like what we want or what we deserve, what is due us, can really play tricks. It can really mess up our sense of gratitude and uh, appreciation. It's like, you know, wealthy Americans going on vacation. Uh, any American going on vacation, right? Like, just the fact that we get to go on vacation, right? And 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 let's say hopefully it's a good place. That in and of itself, I think, is like special. It's luxurious. It's a privilege, right? But you know, sometimes on vacation we're at our worst. We're so whiny. We complain about the food. We complain about the transportation. We complain about the weather. Complain about the accommodation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That shows how our, it, it's our greed, it's our kind of lack of gratitude mechanism, it, it's gone awry. I'm going to try to develop an idea here, and, and I'm not that versed on the topic, but um, so in, in Korean culture, Asian Korean culture, um, there is this uh, concept called Han, H-A-N, right, Han. And uh, it's interesting, like, there's even like theological kind of explorations of this, but it's uh, kind of this um, a definition, a suggested definition is an internalized feeling of deep sorrow, resentment, um, grief, regret, and anger. And so it's like, uh, the way I think about it is something has been done, some, something has, you've been wronged by something. Whether it's an individual experience or a kind of a, a collective or even nationalistic um, experience. So that um, even if something pretty good happens to you, 
there is this unfulfilled yearning still, right? So one example that, you know, I heard growing up and um, if, if cited is, let's say that, um, you know, you, you have, you have a, a college-age kid and um, you want them to go to a good school, the best schools. And let's say they get into a good school, but it's not the best, right? Then the Han kicks in so that you feel that, man, I didn't get, you know, what I wanted, which was that my child, my kid goes to um, the best school. So it's this kind of like sense that uh, I have not been given or there's still something that I want, right? But it's not only this kind of greed and ambition. There's a lot of like sadness, like I made the wrong choice or this bad thing happened to me. So it's a complex. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, be clear that I'm not trying to oversimplify it. But I find it interesting in, when we talk about like a sense of uh, commitment, I mean contentment, right? That something has been taken away that is like my fundamental right or my basic, like I deserve this, I, I should get this. To me, it's not just a Korean or let's say an Asian spirit. It's actually what I see in like American politics. Like, everybody feels that Somebody's to blame for the fact that I can't live my life the way that I wanted to live my life or that I dreamed of living my life or that I deserve to live my life, right? And so I'm going to take it back. I'm going to forcefully, I'm going to rhetorically, I'm going to whatever. It, it just seems that everybody is, you know, going after their version of happiness, their version of, let's call, let's call it the American dream. And the result is that, you know, we are, you know, a messed up society, right? Not that you didn't know that, right? But I think spiritually, that happens a lot too. Where, um, you know, God has been working, God has been blessing, God has been active. But because our our range of desires and what we've prayed about and what we want from God is so expansive, right? Even though he's done these things, we can't be grateful for what he's done because he hasn't yet done these other things, right? I, me confessing to you guys that I'm perfectionistic in many ways. Like I want like everything to work out. I want everybody to be happy. I want all of my things, all of my goals to be accomplished that like 99% of the things could be going well, but that 1% is going to bother me. That's my issue, right? That's my struggle, right? If not everybody is blessed, not if everybody is growing, if there are some strugglers, I take that personally. But, you know, God never told me to, right? He said he's given me these responsibilities, and i am got to be prayerful and do my best, but I can't fix everything, right? That Sabbath uh, rest stuff we talked about last time, right? How can we be wholly content, completely content? Yeah. I think it really requires us to really dig into our value system, our sense of our self-awareness, our sense of, you know, um, what we think uh, we should have. You know, where do my emotions, how do they rise and fall?
Okay, let's finish with Jesus. Of course, I'm referring to his state of, you know, contentment as a holier discontent, holier than just a man who desired healing. Of course, you know, we can never say Jesus was dissatisfied. He was always peaceful in his Father's will. And yet, I think he speaks with kind of an edge, even he may be a little contentious or combative. Because when the one, only one guy returns, what does he say? Where are the other nine? Did they not, you know, are they not grateful? And how come this foreigner, only is this foreigner? So I think you'll, you, you, you would agree with me that he's, there's some disappointment there, right? And it's not because it's any skin off Jesus' proverbial nose. I think Jesus is more um, uh, uh, kind of saddened by the fact that these other nine, they didn't fully get healed. Let me say it that way. This one Samaritan, he not only got outwardly healed, but he came to Jesus. He came in faith. And what does Jesus say at the end? Rise, your faith has made you well. So he was completely, right, fully blessed and healed. But those other nine, they got the external blessing, but they didn't really change inside. I think they were still longing. They were still uh, pursuing. They still were not satisfied, and they were really not uh, grateful. It was a grievous opportunity loss, and in that sense, Jesus um, was not content with uh, that particular outcome. You borrowing a Shakespearean phrase, the winter of their discontent, right? Of our discontent uh, would continue. Right? So to choose, right? To, to, to figure out what uh, we really want and what is really important. And when gra God really grants that and addresses that, he might have done that to you this year, but you're too busy with your version of Han that you're, you know, you're still not happy. You're still not uh, peaceful. You're still not grateful. In that book that I referred to last Sunday, The Rest of God, uh, there's a story um, that um, a book called The Three Edwards, The Three Edwards, written by Thomas uh, Costain. Thomas Costain. Uh, it tells of a 14th century story about uh, two brothers, Reynald and Edward, right? They were in conflict. Edward's army attacks Reynald's army, captures him alive, and Edward imprisons his brother in the Newakirk castle. Interestingly, though, the imprisonment is in the castle. It's not in the dungeon, it's in the castle. There is a door which is open, right? The door is not locked. So Reynold was free to come and go. And Edward promised Reynold that he would fully restore him and all of his rights and titles on one condition, that Reynold exit that room. He walked through that door. Right? But the door was a special door. It was slightly narrower than a typical door, and Reynold was enormously fat. Right? So in order to reclaim all he had lost, Reynold would need to lose weight right, to fit through the door. This is an interesting technique, dieting technique. Right? But Edward provided Reynold with the richest, uh, plenteous, sauciest food, savory and sweet, along with ample ale and wine to boot. So for 10 years, Reynold remained imprisoned and he died in it. He actually gained more weight, apparently, 
because he was unable to say no to the food, lose the weight, and find freedom from his unlocked cell. I think that's a, it's a real parable about how we kind of are, we've, we've wanted the wrong things. We've pursued, we've enjoyed, we, we think this will make me happy, that will make me happy. All these things will satisfy me. Right? We are busying ourselves with that. We're stuffing our face, stuffing our lives with these things, and we're missing what we really need is freedom in God. What we really need is that relationship uh, with Him, that the thing that you know, uh, really changes us. Uh, in, in the deepest and most profound way. Uh, so in this uh, season of reflection and thanksgiving, I want us to examine the content of our contentment. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we think about this story and uh, try to imagine what was going on in the minds of uh, those men, um, we wonder uh, which path would we take. Uh, would we be so caught up with the uh, potential of getting back to what we have always wanted, what has been robbed of us, or what's, what's still unfulfilled uh, in us? Or would we realize that God has shown up, God has done something, God calls us, uh, to himself and would we stop in our tracks and come before him in worship and gratitude and, and humility uh, Lord I think that says a lot about how we understand Thanksgiving so I pray that you will teach us to value the right things and especially to be grateful for each and everything that you have given us in Jesus name we pray Amen <laughs>